Hey, good morning, Faith Family. It is so, so good to see you. I missed you last week. Trust you had a great Thanksgiving. If you're turning your Bibles uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we are now back in uh, the series called The Search. I trust you enjoyed the break. Pastor Roger did a phenomenal job, and you didn't have to hear from Coelith, all right? So it was a good day. It was a good day. We've been in a series, if you're new with us, over the last several weeks called The Search, Uh, God has given us a book in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, that's all about trying to find meaning in life. And it's a very honest book. It's very raw. It's, in fact, uh, many, many people have expressed, like, this may be one of the favorite, uh, like, series that they've been in because it's so honest about life. But others would acknowledge it's tough. Like, it's kind of hard to swallow. And what I want to remind you of is this. At the end of the book, when the father comes back, he's teaching his son wisdom. And the father says this, The words of the wise are like goads. They're like nails firmly fixed. In other words, this book is not intended to make you feel comfortable. This book is intended to make you think. To stop and ask some honest questions about how do you make sense out of life when it doesn't make sense. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been looking at. And so this morning we're going to pick back up at chapter 3. We'll look at this also next week. We will break for Christmas. I mean, who wants to do vanity, vanity over Christmas, right? And so then we'll pick back up in January and we will start the year off with vanity. How's that? So if you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's look at Ecclesiastes 3. And pick up at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter, for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see what they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. I mean, one dies and so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work. That's his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? This is God's Word. Please, please, would you pray for me and pray with me now? God, I ask you to speak to us. Um, We certainly don't deserve it, but by your grace you have spoken You've given us your words. You've given us, Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would come and guide us into truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, please teach us. I know that there are, there are people here right now that are searching for peace. They can't make sense out of what they're facing right now. And, and your word is spoken. And so guide us now as we uh, search for meaning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, is there anything else that counsel wishes to add before I make my final ruling? What do you do? I want to say something. What do you mean? I want to need to say something. Uh, Your Honor, my, my client, Mr. Carter, wishes to address the court. Request granted. Thank you. I was a um, prize fighter. My job was to take all the hatred and skill that I could muster and send a man to his destruction. And I did that. But Reuben Hurricane Carter is no murderer. Twenty years I've spent locked up in a cage, considered a danger to society, not treated like a human being, not treated like a person, counted 15 times a day. I serve my time in a house of justice, and yet there's no justice for me. I ask you to consider the evidence. Don't turn away from the truth. Don't turn away from your conscience. Please don't ignore the law. No, embrace that higher principle for which the law was meant to serve. Justice, that's all I ask Justice. That scene is from uh, one of my favorite movies called The Hurricane. Uh, it's the real-life story about a man named Reuben Carter. Uh, Reuben Carter was a professional boxer uh, in the mid-1960s. In fact, he was a very good boxer. And Reuben was climbing up the rankings as a boxer when his life was radically altered uh, one summer night in New Jersey when two men walked into the Lafayette Bar and Grill and murdered three other people. Shortly after, Reuben and his friend John Artis were arrested and they were accused of the murders. And they stood trial. And even though there was very little evidence, even though there was no motive that they could prove, even though there were bribed witnesses, Reuben Carter was convicted of triple murder. And for the next two decades, hear me, two decades, he spent his life behind bars. Until 1985, after losing his career, losing his wife, losing his children, losing the most productive years of his life, a district court judge in New Jersey dropped all charges. In light of new evidence, the judge said, and I quote, that the prosecution had been based on racism, not reason, concealment rather than disclosure. And for the first time in 20 years, Reuben Carter was a free man. And some of you may even remember there was a public outrage 
over the injustice that Reuben faced. In fact, Bob Dylan actually wrote a song called The Hurricane, where in it he asked, how can the life of such a man be in the palm of some fool's hand? To see him obviously framed couldn't help but make you feel ashamed to live in a land where justice is a game. Now, assuming Reuben's innocence, as the judge declared, would you put yourself in his shoes for just a moment? Can you imagine spending 20 years of your life in prison for a crime you did not commit? Losing everything, your freedom, your family, your future... Because of somebody else's wrong. Be honest, you'd be outraged. And I'd be outraged. And you know why? Because you and I want the exact same thing that Reuben wanted. Justice. Oh my goodness, Faith Emily. We live in a culture that demands justice and despises injustice. We see it everywhere, don't we? I mean, let me give you just a few examples of how we live in a culture that says, if this wrong could be made right, life would make sense. Now, you need to understand something. Ears open. Hear what I'm about to say. I am not giving commentary on these things, nor am I giving support. I'm simply drawing out examples that you see throughout our culture. For instance, the outrage you see when people think that the guilty went free. OJ being one of the big cases, Casey Anthony, and many, many others. Think about all the protests that you see all across, not only our culture today, but even our history. Boston Tea Party, Vietnam War, March on Washington, Occupy Wall Street, the modern Tea Party movement, Black Lives Matter, on issues ranging from anything from income inequality, illegal immigration, the role of government, human rights, unjust war, and on and on and on you would go. One of the very popular examples recently is with Colin Kaepernick, the football player who has refused to stand at the national anthem because he wants to protest injustice. Now remember, I'm not making commentary on any of this. I'm not offering support for any of this. I'm just saying open up your eyes to the culture. The culture is screaming if we could just have justice, life would make sense. It's why you have the popularity of superheroes. We even call them the Justice League because we want to shine our little Batman light, right? And then what's going to happen? The, the hero's going to come in with his goatee. I actually had no idea they were going to put that up there, right? And the bad guys... But I'm playing off of it. I'm playing off of it. And the bad guys will get what they deserve. Isn't that what we want? That's exactly what we want. Or you think, for instance, of like popular TV shows. Law and Order. Pastor Terry's favorite, Judge Judy. Right? It totally is. Totally is. If you're looking for last-minute Christmas ideas, get him a Judge Judy bobblehead doll. Okay, 
He totally loves her. He's got a poster in his office. Um, but, but you see all these TV shows, and, and, and seriously, it's also why Christians speak out, rightly so, on issues like racism, abortion, human trafficking, uh, the persecuted church. Why is this? Why all these examples? Here's my point. Whether or not you're the kid that wants the equal slice, like my Audrey, or you're the accused that wants their side of the story heard, or you're the oppressed that wants revenge, everybody in this room wants liberty and justice for all. Justice, Your Honor. That's all I ask. And in Ecclesiastes 3, that's all Coeleth is asking for as well. Coeleth, this in the English translation, translated the preacher. It's a wise man. He's a wise man trying to make sense out of a life that doesn't always make sense. His conclusion, you will remember in chapter 1, verse 15, is this. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, when you're honest about life in a fallen world, life under the sun, it's a riddle you can't solve. It's a question you can't answer. And listen, listen, one of the reasons why he's saying you can't make sense out of life is because of all the injustice in life. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, that's the same word for justice, even there was wickedness. So what he's saying is, in the place where justice should be found, you can't find it. And he begins to reflect on three types of injustice that we often see even in our culture today. Oh my goodness, faith family, this is unbelievably relevant even for our day. Here's the first injustice that he's going to mention. It's the injustice of consequences. Flip over to chapter 7 and look at verse 15. Wisdom literature jumps around a little bit, so we will too. And notice he says, in my vain life... Somebody give him a Christmas present, all right, to cheer him up, all right? I have seen everything, and here's kind of what he's upset about. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. What's he saying? The good die young, and the wicked live long. And that ain't how it's supposed to be. The good ought to live long and the wicked ought to die young. The good ought to get good and the bad ought to get bad. That's how life should be if it were just. But see, the the reality is, when you look at the consequences of behavior, when you look at the consequences of life, when the cards are dealt, some people get a raw deal. It is like what you have told your children and your grandchildren, honey, Life isn't fair. And you know this to be true. When somebody runs you off the road, what ought to happen is their car should break down immediately. 
Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Preach, preacher. Somebody steals your money, their business ought to go bankrupt. Justice. That's all we ask. And yet, can we have an adult conversation this morning? All of us know that's not how life works, is it? Sometimes the best team doesn't win. Sometimes the strongest one doesn't survive. Sometimes the fast doesn't win the race. Sometimes the just do not receive justice. That's exactly what he says in chapter 9. Look at it on the screen or in your copy of God's Word. Chapter 9, verse 11. I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Now that phrase goes back to chapter 3. There's a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. You remember that two weeks ago? What's he saying? Your life is a series of appointments that you didn't reserve and you can't delete, so you have no guarantees as to what's going to happen to you. Sometimes the fastest person in the race breaks his leg and doesn't win. Keep reading. Like a fish taken in an evil net, like birds caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Here's his point. You and I, be honest, are trapped in a world where there are no guarantees, and that means this, there's no guarantee you'll get what you deserve. In fact, often you likely won't. As I reflected on this, I thought about uh, one of my um, uh, seminary professors. He was really a, a mentor to me, was very open and honest about he and his wife's struggle with infertility. And my guess is with the amount of people that will come through here this weekend, there are many here who either have or are currently struggling with that. And here's what he said, quote, after I brought my wife home from the hospital after suffering our third miscarriage. She was upstairs in the bedroom crying her eyes out. And I got in the car and turned on the ignition. And the radio came on to the announcement that Madonna was pregnant again. I stopped and I asked, Lord, here I have this godly woman who would be such a wonderful mother raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and Madonna's pregnant? It's not right. Because if you live long enough, you will ask the question, is the eye really on the sparrow? Because it seems like what the good ought to get the good don't get. Can I ask you, please, 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 for just a moment, personalize this. What's the one thing in your life that you see as unjust? Well, let me put it this way. If there was one wrong in your family, at your job, in the world, one wrong you could make right today, what would it be? 
Kohelet is saying to you, I feel your pain. I understand what you're going through. It's hard to make sense out of a life where there's so much injustice. But it's not just the fact that uh, there are not even consequences, but look at also the injustice of consistency. We see this in chapter 8. Now follow along closely because there's something in the text that's easy to miss. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 12 says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. Now verse 13. But it will not be well. So we're continuing from verse 12. It will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Right here. Did you see it? Did you see it? What is it? It's a contradiction. There is a contradiction in God's Word. Verse 12 says that the evil will prolong his days. And verse 13 says the evil will not prolong his days. There is a contradiction in the Word of God. What do you have to say about that, Pastor? Here's what I have to say about that. Are you ready? Here's the best answer I can give you. There is a contradiction in God's Word. And that's precisely the point. Cool. Helleth is saying, as if it isn't maddening enough to say that the good do not always get good, the wicked do not always get what is wicked, but sometimes the wicked live long and sometimes the wicked don't. It's not only unfair, it's inconsistent. The reason it's a contradiction is because life is a contradiction. Sometimes the good, good, the good get good and sometimes the good get bad. Life is like a bad umpire at a baseball game. You have all seen this. One pitch is right down the middle, and the ump says, strike. And the next pitch is right down the middle, and the ump says, ball. And it's totally unpredictable, and it it, it makes you mad. It makes you go crazy like this guy. I mean, maybe what we need to do is just start over, right? Let's cover up the plate, and here's what we'll do. Since, since you don't know the rules, we'll draw a new plate that's a lot bigger. Now you laugh, you laugh, why? Because everybody's experienced that. If you've watched sports, Vikings fan, at all, versus the Cowboys, if you've watched it at all, you've had that moment where you've said, if you're going to be bad, at least be consistently bad. And here's the point. If inconsistency in sports is enough to make you go crazy, how much more so in life? Is it a ball or is it a strike, Your Honor? 
Because one minute it's one thing and one minute it's the next. Like as a pastor, I've seen this. A Christian loves God, is committed to the church, goes to the doctor just in time to discover that she has cancer and she's cured. And another Christian who loves the Lord and is committed to the church, she goes to the doctor just in time to discover she has cancer and she's gone in three months. So which is it? Do the good get good or do the good get bad? It's totally maddening, Coelith is saying, that not only is it not fair that the consequences aren't handed out properly, but sometimes you get a good hand, sometimes you get a bad hand, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason at all. John Stott says it this way, Suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith in every generation. Now listen to this phrase. It's distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. My goodness, this is why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Because this is what everybody feels at some point in life. Now, Coelith is saying, I mean, you want to know why I'm crazy? You want to know why I'm like that manager going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Because... Not only are the consequences unjust, but you add to that the fact that it's not even consistent. Let me add a third layer. In the very places where you should find justice, you don't. Look back at chapter 3 and verse 16 where we started. Moreover, I saw under the sun, life in a fallen world, that in the place of justice, that is the courts, that phrase means like the, the justice system, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So what he's saying is this. The very place that's supposed to uphold justice, promote justice, stand for justice, and has sworn to uphold the law does not always do it. Look at Lady Justice and the the symbolism of Lady Justice. The blindfold, she's supposed to be impartial. The scales, she's supposed to be fair and balanced. The sword, she's supposed to be just. So what happens when the blindfold has been removed, the scales are imbalanced, and the sword has been stolen? When as Shakespeare said, fair is foul, And foul is fair. Judges are bribed. Lawyers misrepresent the truth. Witnesses lie. Child molesters get probation. The guilty go free. The innocent are convicted Trials based on racism instead of reason. Decisions made based on politics rather than law. Listen, listen, Coelith is saying, no matter how good of a system you have, it has not avoided the fall. 
Because you have imperfect people in the system, you will never have a perfect system. No matter how bad you want it, there is no such thing as justice for all. At least not in a fallen world. Paul Harvey tells the story about a man in California who was uh, charged with robbery and he's standing before the judge. He's about to hear his sentence and he asks if he could be uh, allowed to go to the restroom. A guard takes him out, escorts him to the restroom and guards the door while he's in there. The man is convinced he wants to escape and so he climbs up the plumbing in the wall opens up the ceiling panel, gets into the crawl space in the ceiling, and starts his way to escape. Roughly 30 feet down, the ceiling collapses. It, it, it busts open, and he falls through the ceiling right back into the courtroom. <laughs> now, we hear that and we say, that's how it's supposed to be. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. Criminals are supposed to get justice. They're not supposed to get away. But as Michael Corleone told uh, Kay as they're walking down the street, who's being naive? Who's being naive? It's the fall seen in the place you expect justice. This is not true for every case, but it's possible for every case because that's life under the sun. So Coella says, all right, I hate to ruin your, your precious little field trip, but unlike your little fairy tale stories, sometimes the one who steals from the rich to give to the poor is actually keeping it for himself. And like in the lyrics of, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, Coeleth, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Merry Christmas. Right? <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying. Now listen, let me stop for a second. Um, want justice. Stand for justice. Listen, justice is a good thing. But you've got to listen to me. You have to hear this next statement. If you need justice in this life to make sense out of this life, then prepare yourself for vanity. Because you will not get it. So what Coella says, here's my advice. In light of that, that's true. That's life in a fallen world. So in light of that, here's my advice. Let God judge assuming that He will. Let God judge assuming that He will. Right, let me show you verse 17. Chapter 3, pick it back up. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Now that sounds good. Like that's good Bible. We're, we're almost tempted to say, that a boy, Coelith, way to come around. It sounds very orthodox. But, but, but how many times have I told you in the book of Ecclesiastes, you've got to interpret the verse in light of the overall book. One of the rules of biblical interpretation is you take a verse in the context before it and the context after it. So let me tell you what Coelith means here. Let me, let me start by asking a question. Has anybody here ever struggled with 
your theology in light of reality. Like you knew what was true, you knew what was right, you knew what God's Word said, but reality appeared to be different. Like, I don't know, hypothetically, you knew that God could defeat the giants in the land, you just voted that He wouldn't. You knew God could let your people go out of Egypt. You just didn't think you had the skill set, Moses. You believed that Jesus could rise from the dead. The problem was the last time you saw him, he was a dead corpse being taken down off a cross. My point is the Bible is full of men and women who struggled to put their theology in practice given reality. Coelith is doing the same thing, and here's why. This is the context before verse 17 in order for us to understand the tone of verse 17. Listen, there's a time for this and a time for that. A time for this and a time for that. A time for this and a time for that. Your life is a series of appointments you didn't reserve and you can't delete. Did you reserve your birth? No. Can you delete your death? No. And who set life up this way? God did. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people will fear before Him. In other words, God is sovereign over life. And add to that, I believe, God is the judge of the wicked and the righteous. Are you ready? So why aren't you doing something about it? My theology says you're sovereign. I know that. My theology says you're judge. But reality says you have turned a blind eye to the injustice of life. It isn't enough that life's unfair. Add to that that it's inconsistent. Add to that that the courts, the place that ought to have justice, don't always give justice. And add to that that the highest court of all doesn't seem to be doing a stinking thing. And he ain't alone. He's not even alone in the Old Testament. Listen to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1, how the book starts. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He's asking the question, God, why aren't you doing something about it? Man, that's real. That's raw. And it's not just the context that's leading up to verse 17, but now look at the context after verse 17 and we'll make the point. Pick it up in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast, it's the same. One dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. 
all go to one place. That is, all are from the dust and all to the dust return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. Here's what he's saying. I wish I had more time here. I don't. I'm just going to give you the summary. What he's saying is when you take an honest look at life, it doesn't seem like there's any difference at all in the end. Let me put it this way. If there's no justice in this life, how can we be sure there'll be justice in the next? God is sovereign. God is judge. It doesn't seem like he's doing anything at all because all is vanity. And if you really take an honest look at this life, who knows really what's going to happen. So go ahead. Trust God to judge, assuming that he's going to. It's exactly what Coelith is saying. And so... Let God judge, assuming you will, but there's one more thing I'll give you uh, that Quelth would say is uh, drown the pain of the injustice you see around you with the pleasures of life. Look at the last verse, verse 22. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, that is, that's the best you can do. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? That is, there's no guarantees. So here's what Quelth is saying. Work and enjoy your work so that you can go and have that extra scoop of ice cream. Or, or maybe for you, it's, you know, it's Christmas time, that, that pecan pie. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. How revival's breaking out right over here, all right? And it's warm. That ice cream is melting. It's so good. It'll make you smack your mama. You know what I mean? It's that just kind of, oh, Coelith says, trust God to judge, assuming that he will, and try to ignore the injustice by simply enjoying what you can. Now, what do you say to that? You'd better have something to say. Because that's exactly where our world is. Do you know how many times I've been asked as a pastor, how can you believe in God when there's so much wrong with the world? There really is nothing new under the sun. This is not a new dilemma. It's not a new tension. It's not a new question. He's asking the same thing we all ask. Are you going to do anything about the injustice of life? And I have the best news in the world. God has an answer. Romans 3 and we're done. Romans chapter 3 and we're done. As we approach Romans 3, let me say this. The gospel that is the good news that I'm about to share, the good news of Jesus Christ, listen, it is going to offend your sense of justice. If you approach life with the sense that people ought to get what they deserve, you're not going to understand the cross at all. Now, I'm going to start and I'm going to build something. We're going to start basic and we're going to build to the question and I'm going to show you it's the same question that Coelith is asking in Ecclesiastes 3. Now, watch, watch. Here's the first point. Look at chapter 3 of Romans, verse 10. As it is written, 
None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Verse 23, you know this verse. For all have sinned, and say it, fall short of the glory of God. So the reality is you and I are sinners. That is, you and I have sinned against God. We have done wrong. Um, and and the, the issue there is, it means this. The problem with the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is it assumes good people. And I got news for you. There is no such thing. I mean, there really is. I mean, not that you don't do good things. I'm saying at our very core is rebellion to God. All, that is everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous. No, not one. And how do you know that's the case? Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. That is, so you have nothing else to say. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. This phrase is big. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How do you know that you stand in a place of condemnation? Because the law exposes you. It's the spotlight on your darkness. I look in the mirror of the law and I say, I'm not perfect. I've broken the law. Either the law of God or the law of God written on my heart. Every one of you knows you're not perfect. You know that. Everybody understands that. Let's add to this. There's another issue. Look at uh, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, you want to talk about good? You want to talk about righteous? Well, there's only one. God. He's the only good one. He's the only righteous one. Follow me. If I'm sinful, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Because the law brings about the knowledge of my sin and God has revealed His righteousness, we have a problem. We have a really, really big problem. Look at the last part of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Come here. How can a righteous God do nothing? We are sinners falling short of the glory of God. The law proves that. He's the righteous one. So how in the How in the world can Abraham be the father of many nations when he's a liar? How can David still be a king when he's a murderer? What's being asked at the cross? Listen, the same question Koheleth is asking, God, are you going to do something? And his answer is a big old yes. And it's the best news in the world. Verse 
25. Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, big word for sacrifice by His blood, to be received by faith, this, that is, the sacrifice of Christ, was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It, that is, the sacrifice of Christ, was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is your answer? Are you going to do something? The answer is yes. It's Jesus. Meaning, right here, God did not ignore injustice. He poured it all out on Jesus. And it's the best news of the world because He could have poured it out on you. But He didn't. I'm going to send my son, my perfect son, into an unjust world to be rejected by men, betrayed by friends, falsely accused by witnesses, to face a corrupt justice system and a trial by night. And though he is innocent, he will be beaten, he will be whipped, and he will be nailed to a cross. And it makes you wonder, how can the life of such a man be in the palm of some fool's hands? To know that, to be ashamed that that all this was just a game. It does make you feel ashamed to live in a land where justice for Jesus was a game. And he did all of it gladly for you. You want to ask me, faith family, you want to ask me, culture, you want to ask me, Coeleth, how does God deal with the injustice of the world? Here's my answer. It's the answer of the gospel. His answer is this. By sending His Son into it, taking His Son through it, killing His Son for it, to deliver you out of it with the promise one day He'll restore it. And that's the best news in the world. And I don't, listen, I don't mean to be insensitive. I'm trying to shepherd you. But I get this question all the time. And it's a right question. I understand it's not new. How can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world? How can you believe in God when there's so much wrong with the world? How can you believe in God when there's so much injustice in the world? And here's the question I want to ask you. How can you shake your fist at God for the injustice in the world when He experienced firsthand the injustice of the world? You're going to shake your fist at God? Who faced suffering to a greater degree than you? 
My goodness, have a brain. You don't need to run from that God. You need to run to that God because he understands suffering and justice far more than you do. And I'll tell you this while I'm preaching, Allah won't offer you that, and Buddha won't offer you that, and atheism won't offer you that. Only the one true and living God of the Bible will offer you a God that knows your suffering because He died for your suffering. So please think. The answer isn't run from God. It's run to Him. Because He knows it deeper than you. He faced it for you. To a much greater degree, I'll just say this. You have faced an injustice in the world. He has faced all the injustice of the world. And so Coeleth sees the injustice, says, God, are you going to do anything about it? And the gospel, hallelujah, says this, I see the injustice of the world, and I have done something about it. His name is Jesus. And that's the only thing that's going to help you make sense out of a life full of injustice. Isn't it interesting that the answer to injustice is found in the greatest act of injustice? Now, I want to take just a moment. I'm out of time, but it's third service. We've got nowhere to go. <laughs> I, and it will just be a moment, but I... I told myself I will not rush this last part, and, and, and here's why. Because I want to speak into your life for just a minute. Can we get practical? Can we get, we're going we're to come out of the heavy theology of the cross, and we're going to come into your life, your life, in just a couple of statements. Number one is this. Listen. The only way you are going to find peace when an injustice is done to you and it will, is by living in light of the cross. Let me explain that. And injustice is done to you, and it's wrong. Racism, sexism, oppression, wrong. Totally wrong. And it's done to you. As a Christian, here's the hope that you have. You can say this. Jesus faced more injustice than me, and Jesus died for the injustice done to me. Which means I can stand up for what's right, but find peace in Jesus. Here's the problem. If the only way you're going to have meaning in life is if every wrong gets made right, you're never going to have peace in life. But if you can say, the cross is my peace, and I can stand up for justice, but I can do so in a way where my life doesn't depend on getting what I think is right. I'll put it this way. Hear the heart of your pastor. I want nothing more. I want nothing more than a world that is absent of racism, abortion, abuse. But listen. We don't have to have that to make sense out of life because we have 
Jesus. Does that make sense? Stand up for what's right, but don't let that issue be your peace. Let Jesus be your peace. And there are protesters everywhere. And they'll be protesting again tomorrow because they're never going to have peace until they have Christ. Number two. The only way you're going to find peace when you don't get what you feel you deserve from God is by living in light of the cross. So it goes like this. And you've been there. I did this and God, you gave me that. It's not, I I deserved better. Listen, here's what the cross says. It proves, if it proves anything, that life isn't about your performance. He's not a vending machine. It isn't, here's here's my law, here's my good deeds, now give me, give me, give me, give me. What does the cross prove? The cross is this. Moral people, in fact, the most righteous one, doesn't always receive the better circumstances because life isn't about morality, it's about the grace of God. You don't deserve anything, so how can you demand anything? So instead of being worried about what lollipop's going to come out of the machine, just stand amazed that God has been gracious to you and you have a Father that loves you. You don't find a lot of legalists at the cross. Because it's hard to demand a better life when you've been given eternal life. And that's the only way you're going to make sense when you don't feel like God has given you what you deserve. Number three. Almost done. The only way to find peace in current injustice is to know there will be a future justice. There will be a future justice. The cross and the resurrection was not the final act. Let me give you this one verse and we'll move on. Acts 17.31 says, He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that is Jesus, whom he has appointed, and of this he's given assurance. Coelith, you want to know your evidence that God is going to judge? Here it is. By raising him from the dead. All eyes right here. Do you know why I know with certainty that there is going to be a judgment day? Because there is a grave in the Middle East this morning that's empty. And because it's empty, and the judge is alive and well, seated at the right hand of God, there will be a day when he puts all his enemies under his feet. And lastly, the only way, hear this, the only way you're going to find meaning in life, you ready? Is to stop trying to find justice and simply receive mercy. The last thing you want, trust me, is what you deserve. And brother and sister, not on my authority, but based on the authority of God's Word, there will be a judgment day. And on that day, there are only two options. Here are the options. You will either stand alone, or you will stand in Christ alone. And I can promise you this, 
The last thing you will want to do on that day is be like Reuben Carter standing before the judge of all creation asking for justice, Your Honor. Give me what I deserve. Oh no, you will stand in that day like Reuben Carter before the judge and you will say, Mercy! Mercy! That's all I ask! And if you know Jesus, you will have it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, what what good news. What good news with more implications than we can even imagine. There are some here today and they are so bitter. And they are trapped because of the injustice that's happened to them. And life has not been fair and it has not been consistent and And they may very well have been dealt a raw hand. And what they need this morning is not justice. It's a cross. They need a Savior. Who can in a very real way say, here's peace. Because I have taken on that injustice. So you don't have to. Child, be free. Child, be free. You rage and you rage. But I offer peace. Oh God, my, my, my heart is broken for that person here today who, who doesn't know that peace. And there, there are some here and they've never, they've never experienced the overwhelming mercy. Oh, that they would pray right now, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And based on the authority of your word, you will meet them with abundance. Holy Spirit, I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know every heart in this room and what they're going through, but you do. And so I'm just, I'm asking in your, in your supernatural way to minister to us right now to meet us here to set us free in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen